0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the SAA interviews that we conducted at the recent WBC in Seattle. The next person that we have for you is somebody that walked by just at the right moment. Myself and Steve were talking about who we would get on to interview. Someone who wasn't too shy about expressing their opinions and, you know, would be very entertaining. And this person fitted that bill just perfectly. Jay Carragay is someone who's known to many of us in the coffee industry as one of the voices behind uh, the podcast uh, known as Portafilter that he conducted with Nick Cho for many years and also the owner-operator of Spro, one of the, let's say, most innovative cafes out there and has been on the scene for many years. Jay is also a world-renowned WBC judge and someone who is never short of an opinion. I can't say I always agree with Jay, but I always love listening to him and I I always treasure that moment when you see Jay at the far side of the conference center whenever you're doing these road shows because you know that when you meet Jay you get that big man hug off him and he'll always have a smile on his face and he can rib you about the things he disagrees with and congratulate you on the things he does agree with you. So, uh, without further ado, Mr. Jay Carragay.
1: So I'm joined by um, one of my podcast heroes. Like oh, yeah. seriously, like the porta filter stuff was so much in my DNA at the start. <laughs> we have had Nick on a couple of couple of weeks ago and okay. like now we get Jay on as well. He's like, This is awesome, I've got the hair now. <laughs> I'm like collecting them like Pokemon. Um joined by Jay Carragay, who is current WBC judge and well, what are you doing now? I so I now that you work, you're in Baltimore. You had the shop You used to have Jay Shay voice back in the day, but right, right. that's not anymore. So well, tell we, us what you're up to now.
2: Technically, the company still exists. Okay, and oh, that's yeah. actually the corporate structure that we still operate under. Right. But um, the whole concept has changed now to a, a concept we call Spro. Yeah, and Spro is basically this. It's actually ten, nearly ten years old next year. Uh, and we moved. We, we booked, we've had two locations. Um, for a was period. it one in a
1: library or something? There was,
2: or... We started in a library, yeah. and we built a new shop in the city, and they were running concurrently, and then we opened a roastery, and then I sold the library location to oh, one of our baristas. We've done that. <laughs> and um, that's pretty much where we are today. So we a uh, little tiny cafe. We roast and uh, try to make nice coffee for people and keep them happy. What are you roasting? we roast roasting a three kilo peccancini. Nice, and, nice. Yeah, so, yeah, but you know, sometimes it gets a little bit... Uh, long in the roast days.
1: Yeah. yeah you're yeah. pushing 22 roasts a day, you're
2: like, okay, we need to get a bigger roast
1: <laughs> So, um, tell, tell people who may not know, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm mean, sure there's about five people who don't know how you got started in coffee, but what's your background? Like, how did you actually kind of get to where My you are? My
2: background on? is actually in motion picture production. Okay. So, I worked for uh, Hollywood Studios for 10 years, and, you know, while Hollywood is a great business to be in, you know, it's very... Um, it's a very rough and tumble kind of business. It's a very up and down feast and famine. And uh, in 2007, sorry, 1997, I was working on a motion picture called uh, Liberty Heights with Bear Levinson. And one of my, and i have been in the business by that point, what, seven, five, six years. But I came at a time when it was really good to be in the business because production was very strong in America. We worked whenever we wanted to work. And, you know, life was very good. You know, in the most picture business, you can make quite a bit of money. And, um, but one day we're sitting there on set and talking to this girl that had been in the business for 15 years. She was a set decorator. And we just talked, we're talking, it's like, so what do you do when, when the movie, movie stopped, when production stopped for a while? And she had a very matter-of-fact, nonchalant answer. I just go on welfare. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to be 50, married with children or whatever. And um, I'm just going to go on welfare, that's that's just unacceptable. So, I decided then that I needed to get out of the business at some point, you know, retire from that and then uh, do something else. So we started doing shave ice for kind of a fun summertime business and uh, 9-11 happened. Uh, America went to hell. We went to war. Uh, We had to move and rent a new location which required year-round rent. And since uh, the shave ice business is mainly a summer event, you know business is poor during the winter. So we had to figure out, what are we going to do to make money year round? The initial thought was let's do coffee. So we started out. um, The coffee had the company had a Hawaiian focus since I lived in Hawaii for eight years. So the only thing that I understood was I know there's coffee in Kona. So I, you know, made some phone calls to Kona. I said, Hey, I'm looking for coffee. I don't know how to buy, I don't know anything about it, but I'd like to buy some from you. Flew to Kona, met with some farmers, bought coffee from them. And that's how we actually started, was buying coffee from farms. But I had no idea that there was anything called direct trade or anything like that. And so a year later, so I wanted to learn about espresso. I started getting involved with, um, back then there was a show called Dascore. And we took some espresso classes there. And then met a mentor through through some people, uh, John Sanders. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the John, Colonel. the, the <laughs> Colonel. He, he's the one that led me into the rabbit hole that was the SCAA and this whole world that we're in
1: today. Wow, wow. So, you were fairly well known as being quite outspoken on the SCAA back in the day. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Um, what's your opinions today? I mean, how do you think you this as an organisation today? Is it stronger? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it? Well,
2: as with anything, it think Things there are things that have improved. There are things that I think are kind of worse. There are things that um, maybe have stayed the same. Yeah. Uh, there are always there's always the people that you have um, character and integrity issues with. You know, those yeah. people are still around. <laughs> you know, people that you don't really that you're not really in sync with. Yeah. And uh, you know, for the for the most part, um, I was heavily involved with SCA politics and the, the start of the barista guild and everything. And yeah. so. I did that for four years or so, and by 2007, I was like, you know what, I want to transition away from that. So, starting in 2007, I really started to pull back from a lot of that involvement, and you know, it's much, much more enjoyable now, you know, what am I, why am I, like, for part of it was like, why am I, like, wasting my craziness on this? Yet? I come from an industry where, you know, it's not coffee rock stars. It's real rock stars. Yeah, yeah. People that are known not just by people within a, within an industry; they're known by people across the planet.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so my perspective, I, I started to realize, you know, I'm, I'm getting too, I was getting too um, myopically focused on our business. So, you know, what I really wanted, to, what I really wanted to do, in getting away from motion pictures. Was I wanted to build a company where I would enjoy working in? I would have a place where I could treat people the way that I thought they should be treated. Hopefully that's a very amiable kind of fun and uh, rewarding environment. So that's really about what I've been focusing on lately. Is over the last few years is you know, how do we build a better company where people can work and excel and
1: hopefully find something interesting. I guess the other side of your involvement at the moment is that your your head your uh, WBC uh, sensory judge yes. uh, have been for a couple of years now. Is it two years or three uh, years? Actually,
2: for. Um, off and on, well, I've been involved with the WBC for off and on for the last at least 10 years. Okay, okay. I'm judging for the USBC for the WBC is um maybe four or five years. Yeah. Okay. I've been judging international competition since 2007. Yeah,
1: yeah, so you I know you can't talk about the specifics because you, you know people are still competing, the competition's still going on, but like what's the general quality been like of what you've seen on here? Is is, is the competition getting stronger? Um, it certainly looks it from from outside, but you're sitting there drinking the coffee. So, what what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely stronger. I mean, you know, and I have the interesting perspective is that I,
2: being a, a judge that's that's judged internationally, and I've never judged the United States. Okay, you know, um, and I've actually only had very little experience judging what I would you say. He competed
1: on, in the US, BC, Yes, you know, competed.
2: But yeah. as a judge, I, I haven't really done much. Uh, I would say first world competitions. You know, like the only the only first world. Competition I've done was in 2008. I judged the uh, Canadian championships, okay. but otherwise, I spent most of my time in developing nations.
1: Yeah, and I remember seeing you judging in El Salvador, right, of right. Central and America, so, the really interesting
2: things that you are working in these. Um, there's a small group of us judges that are working in these developing nations, and we really get to see a, a really interesting development. And in that you know, there's such a, a level of enthusiasm in these, in these um, developing nations as well as. Some level of, you know, they still need development. The whole thing, the whole structure that they're working in, it needs to be more developed than you probably at the world championships. And there's still a lot of that supported. It's really developed well. Um, I know there's been some criticism from on this podcast about, you know, like is that are the judges, you know, qualified enough? Are they are they getting putting their time? You know, they are they putting um, enough of their own blood, sweat, and tears? And I have to say, especially the last uh, couple cycles of world barista judging. I would have to say, yeah, that's a there's really a a good structure in place to try to encourage and develop quality judges that are capable of handling national champions from all across the planet.
1: I guess, and I mean, because you know, a lot of that perspective is that why these conversations come around is people, you know, why isn't a girl? What's your perspective on that? What do you think? Because. I, I talked to lots of different people about this, and I'm not saying as, as a judge, as a personal perspective. You know, what, what, why do you think that has not been the case? Because well, we think, have so many amazing female baristas. I mean, but let, let's
2: let's really look at it. I mean, the, you know, the, the podcast the, that I that I wrote on. And I, I'm sorry, I haven't really seen the, if there were any follow-up comments because I've been on the road for the last three weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I'm on the road, I usually don't even. I've hardly check emails, but um, you know. I've been in countries where there were women, where,
1: the, where, the, where women did win. Yeah. Uh, what well, we nationals. talked about it on, the, on that podcast, where we, you know Russia, it's, they have a very strong tradition of women winning, winning that competition. And, right. You know, like, and it's a very strong competition for female winners. So, what? And I think we've seen lots of, you know, certainly USBC, we've seen a, a good proportion of female winners come through and very strong, you know, well qualified ones. And, and, yeah, I, I just but why don't... not at the WBC? Exactly, like, yes. Well, I think
2: it's just a matter of of time and process. Also, there's you know part of it's a numbers thing. I think there's yeah. so many more male competitors that it's harder for women to get it onto those twelve spots for the semifinals and then the six for the
1: finals. Um, and there's the, there's the argument, that, like for a long time, people said, well, unless you, unless you, you know. White and can speak English as your first language, then you're not going to win for a, for a little while. I was but more oh, right. non-native English speakers have won now than native English speakers. Right. right. You know, so that one kind of get no. And again, it's about it's a numbers thing. You know, we were so young, we were only 15 years old. We're still teenagers as a as a, as a competition. Okay. And do you trust teenagers to do anything? Because I have one living <laughs> at home with me, and I don't trust him to do anything. So uh, you know, we're still developing and still maturing as a, as a as a competition. In your time being involved, do you think the judging has got stronger? Do you think it's got better? Do you think it's got more structure? Certainly my perspective is, yes, it has. But I'm always interested to see from inside, because you've had that vast experience over such a long time.
2: Well, yes, it it, it has gotten better in in the fact that, you know, as a judge, it's now, comparatively to when I started judging in 2007, it's much harder to hold the judging position. In
1: 2015
2: yeah, than it, than it was.
1: You know, eight years in, what, ago. in what way? In what in the qualify in like the qualification and the calibrations? Um, and... Like for example, you know,
2: for us to go judge international competitions, they want you to have certain levels of requirements, and that's increased over the years. Some, you know, some of have thought, well, it's a little bit egregious. It's a little bit, you know. You know, is it really beneficial, but in most respects I think it is. Like, you know, they want us to have certain levels of standards so that the rules are applied evenly. And that's one of the problems that I've seen as a head judge in other you know, nations, is that like sometimes it's very difficult to, in the past, it's been difficult to get even basic support materials from the from WBC back then, just to teach the basic lessons, but that's now a lot more smoother, that's
1: a lot more uh, distributed. And, and how, how much does it cost you to be a WBC judge, judge per year? Because some people don't realize that. that like, well, that, I
2: mean, I don't remember what the certification costs are. I think it's several
1: hundred dollars to just to take the class. Yeah. Then you but, may and fail. And that, no, yeah, that you have no guarantee of passing. Right, exactly. So you could fail. And then um,
2: since WBC only has trainings in, let's say, like three or four places around the world in any year, if you don't happen to be in a location where, if you don't live near a location, you're gonna fly, and it's not, it's not unusual for people from like Seoul, Korea, to come to. Well, my last one in November uh, 2013, or yeah, 2013, we had um, judges come from Mexico, Korea. You know, so people are flying, I mean, literally around the world to attend these. You know, so they're paying their own airfare, their own uh, accommodations, transport. Um,
1: subsistence, and, and,
2: yep. and in tradition of the SCAA and the WBC, they pay their own meals, and they pay for you pay for everything. Yeah. Um, then when you come to the... So let's say you pass your certification classes and you're named as a sensory judge or a technical judge to the WBC. You come to the WBC, and... Uh, like, for example, this one here in Seattle. There are over 60 judges, which is... Um, for the judging world, that's really a tremendous amount of people that
1: are available yeah. to
2: judge. And it's unprecedented. Usually there's like 40, 45, with just enough people to operate the championship. But since we're in the United States, there's so many more judges that, that have reached um, WBC certification. So there's a lot more than them to choose from, you know, but they'll, all, they'll, they'll come here on their, again, on their own expense, on their own dime, pay for their own hotels, our own meals. We um, use WBC provides none of that. Hell, they don't even provide, like, a, a proper, like, thank you package. I mean, last year, Reg Barber gave us a koozie and a, and a beach ball. <laughs> this is your thank you for judging at the World Barista Champion At the pinnacle of championships, as a judge, here's a beach ball and a koozie. We can't be bothered to give—we can't be bothered to print you a certificate and give it to you. They'll email it to you and then spec you to go to Kinko's to print it out for four seventy five in full color. Um, so that's really the, the reality of being a judge. And so you come here, and especially this year, since there's so many judges,
1: spend all this time and money. Maybe you'll do four shifts. So Maybe six. So why? Why do it? What is the motivation to do it? Because why? you're really not selling it to me as an idea.
2: Well, it's, it's hard to see. you know When you're really people, it's hard to say, but what do I get, enjoy out of it? I mean, the you know, part of the reason you come to W C as a judge is because you want to be here you like the idea of supporting them. Yeah. for me really um, for me to judge W C is really just because it is yeah. um, the other side of it is I enjoy the, the international judging because I get to work with so many breaches from so many different parts of the world that are really really enthusiastic about what they're doing yeah. you know it's like here in America there's so much competition there's so much slickness and so much money going into it everybody's like well I can't really say because I haven't been to the USBC in many years but the, from the, what I hear it's like everybody's you know competitors are so high level so high thinking of themselves or whatever well in many other countries especially developing nations they're just so excited to be there. they
1: want to learn and I've been to countries like Uganda I'm Chicago, so excited for Jay Carragher to be there uh, well. they don't well, even then. know who
2: I am, which is great. But,
1: like, yeah, but <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure there are people there that kind well, of... That yeah. be because you're, you're a world judge. They watch the they watch the streaming and they see that WBC judge sitting in the chat and then all of a sudden... Well, they could be, be but, but that's, only,
2: that's only a very small percentage of those who compete regularly.
1: But a lot of these
2: people that are competing in, in, in international competitions across the world are relatively new to the game. Yeah. They're relatively new to the craft. They want to learn... And so we try to spend a little bit of time helping them with their skills if we can. Uh, so to me, that's really the exciting part is that you get, especially over. Let's say, if you get to go to a certain country over a period of several years, you get to see those people develop. Like a great example is the current Uganda champion, Mark Okuta. And Mark, I've known Mark for. I started going to Uganda maybe two thousand and ten. So I've known Mark four or five years, and you know I've seen him progress from this. Very new, very inexperienced, very eager to learn barista. Now he's the champion of the You know, and very exciting for him to be for me see. You know, or like uh, Alejandro Mendez when he was when he won El Salvador. Yeah. I was the head judge in El Salvador that year that, that when he won. So to see that progression, you know, it was very exciting for us to be in Bogota when he won because, hey, you know, like this is the guy that we. We're, we judged in a...
1: And this was a kid in 2010 in London when I first met him, he was just going, I'm so excited! Exactly. Like, and, and yeah, that was, that, that, you're selling it to me now. I might even yeah. buy it <laughs> now. That, that's
2: really it. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, I, and I spend a lot of time in American coffee, you know, so, you know, we're always going to be a little more jaded because we're whatever. But that's why I enjoy one of these places because people are so enthusiastic. <laughs> it's so loose food. Well, that's that's
1: really to me where the, the craft should be that's awesome James thank you very much for coming on and share, sharing how to, how to be a judge why you would be a judge to us all so, oh absolutely uh, uh, that was awesome thank you much, cheers